Welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast with me, Laura, and my lovely mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Together, we'll be discussing all things parenting, from education to mental health and everything in between. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. I'm Laura. I'm a qualified learning designer, and I'm here with my mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm a child psychiatrist and um, very interested in what we're going to talk about today. I think we're going to talk about co-parenting, Laura. Yes, that's right. Today's episode is all about co-parenting, um, strategies for parents to help manage those processes, and obviously, my mum, Ruth, is going to talk about it from a mental health perspective, and then I'm going to talk about it more from an education perspective and bringing in schools and, and how you can kind of talk to teachers and that sort of thing. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. Um, but first of all, let's share a little bit about what's going on in our weeks. I have been really busy this week finalising the Mexico Country Quest for Quest of Kids, which is the company that we both run. It's an educational online game for kids um, to help them learn about the history and the geography and the cultures, the foods, animals of different countries. Um, we go on a country by country basis and um, the next one coming out is Mexico. Um, so yeah, I've been working on that and mum, you've been uh, trialing some of the activities, haven't you? Yeah, I have actually. I have. I've been having great fun with that actually. Uh, as we talked about the other week, I I've never been to Mexico. I'd love to go. I'm particularly interested in the food. I think that's, uh, you know, uh, that's just my greed, I guess. But uh, <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so it's so it's been great fun. But, you know, we've also been pretty busy with, um, you know, beginning to work on the next ones after that. Mm. Um, I'm currently in Lincoln at the moment. We're, um, we're going to, in the England workbook, we're going to uh, look at the life of Nicola de Hay. And de she... Delahaye, sorry, darling, I'm going to have to get this sorted. Um, and she um, defended Lincoln Castle in a siege. So uh, tomorrow yeah, I'm twice, going to go over... Twice, wow, twice. amazing, what a lady. Um, so tomorrow I'm going to go over to the castle and uh, try and find out a bit more about her life if I can and take some photographs of some of the defensive um, castle architecture. I've been given a little lesson from Laura about what to look for. <laughs> Hopefully I'm going to see the right things and take some photos that you might all be interested in. But there we go. Yeah, exactly. Quest of Kids is all based on exploring the world through the stories of women throughout history. So we thought that I thought that Nicola de la Haye's story was a great one. She's a really fun character because she's really loud and bouncy and fully in charge of the siege that's taking place in Lincoln Castle in the storyline. And our two characters, Questor and Zeke, um, kind of meet her during the siege and help her out with designing some defensive architecture. So it's a great way for kids to do a fun activity um, where they get to learn a little bit about castle defense and the medieval period while through kind of fun character-based stories. So I think it's going to be good. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what research you come back with from Lincoln. So Yeah, and do you know, I have very clear memories of various family trips we went on after you'd been thinking about that at school. Um, so you did, you have shown me defensive castle architecture before, and I'm going to, you know, dredge my memory and try and see if I can remember all the stuff you showed me that you'd been told about that clearly inspired you. Yeah, I, I do, it was... 
very exciting. I I remember when I I spent some time living in Lebanon and I went to a uh, castle while I was there, uh, which had been a crusader castle or the crusaders had been based there for a while and i realized that the architecture was exactly the same as the welsh castles that i spent uh, like <laughs> my childhood exploring and i ended up accidentally giving a tour i was telling my friends about all this defensive medieval architecture from wales that had been transplanted into lebanon and a bunch of german tourists ended up following me um, and tried to pay me afterwards so i mean <laughs> So don't give up the day job, Laurie. You Absolutely could end up as a tour guide in Lebanon. <laughs> well, about... I certainly remember a family trip where we organised an assault on Maiden Castle. Um, and given that there were only three of us there, it was quite ambitious. But, um, yeah, we all got the hang of it. We all knew what we had to do, where, the, um, yeah, where, the, where the vulnerable points were and how we were going to get through them. Uh, all right, now let's move on to the topic that we're going to talk about this week, which is co-parenting. Okay, so we're going to talk about co-parenting. I have to say this is not a topic that I have huge personal experience with because you and dad are still together. Um, <laughs> but it is something where I've seen um, friends of mine who have uh, parents who were divorced when we were kids, um, some of whom had like really positive examples of co-parenting and then obviously some negative ones. I think probably everybody has some examples of positive co-parenting and negative co-parenting. But we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the ways that you can work on a positive co-parenting relationship and some of the impacts that it has on kids, right? Sure. And it, it's interesting because when I think about co-parenting, what always comes into my mind is that being a good co-parent is actually exactly the same as being a good parent mm. just a few more complications um you know it is difficult it's co-parenting is when two people who have separated decide that they're going to bring the children up taking equal responsibility um and that's a pretty tough um thing to do anyway within within a relationship that's positive and working but if you've separated, something's gone wrong and people get hurt and all of that can get in the way. And yet it's really important that you try and put all that to one side so that you can give your full attention to to the children. Yeah. And um, I guess it's one of those things where everyone feels like, oh, I would do really good co-parenting if I was to split up with my partner. But actually, then when they're in it, it can be really difficult to remember what that kind of rational, even keeled feeling feels like. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that the hurt and the disappointment of a relationship that hasn't worked for whatever reason is really hard to put to one side. But actually, that's what you've got to do. You've got to try to find a way to always remember that the most important people in this co-parenting arrangement are the kids. Mm. And whatever you do, you've just got to think, how is this affecting them? Um, and I guess when you talk about friends in situations like that, that that you're talking about and thinking about situations where they maybe didn't feel like that, that they, you know, they felt bewildered or confused or had divided loyalties. And that, that's pretty tough, actually. Yeah, I think de that's definitely the case. And then I think there were also cases where there were clearly some parents of friends of mine who found co-parenting so difficult that they didn't. And one parent would, would just kind of split, as it were. Um, yeah. And and then, you know, and in a way that's I don't know if that's worse than like an, a, a nasty, rancorous co-parenting relationship, but it also has an impact as well. 
Um, yeah, and and uh, you know, I've been asked lots of times in my professional life about, don't I agree that divorce is really bad for for children? And and actually, my answer to that is no. What's really bad for children is to grow up in a conflict zone, yeah. and that can be within a marriage that's not working or a relationship that's going wrong, but it can also be in a situation where both parents are determined to be co-parents but not actually willing to make the compromises to make it possible for that to happen mm. um, and that's what's bad for kids it doesn't matter whether the parents are you know living together in the same home what matters is are they working together in a cooperative way to support kids okay so i think one of the things that would be really helpful for this is to talk about some really clear really clear practical steps that that parents that co-parents can take in order to be able to work together um rather than just being this abstract be nice to your co-parent but like talk about some actual things that they can do do you have any of those kinds of things yeah so Again, it links to good parenting generally, but having really, really clear expectations and boundaries is really important. So just be very practical. Um, there are obvious things you can be, you can achieve clarity on, like what are the arrangements? What are the dates? What are the times? What, you know, where, when, how? What do people need to bring with them? And remember that when you are negotiating all of that there are some things that it's perfectly legitimate as a co-parent to expect to know about or to have a say in and there are other things where it really is nothing to do with you um you need to back off so things like how your um the other parent lives things that um you know things that they do when they're not with with you know with the children is is really up to them other and partners as well i think is a big other, yeah exactly exactly i mean i don't know if that's if if that's something that you saw with your with your with your friends when there was muddles not not too much with friends when i was a child but i think then when i had when my adult friends if i talked to them about about situations that was one more i think with people who had really contentious divorces was how was how to manage when both parents couldn't be in the same space um, yeah, and you know yeah. how do you manage a graduation or a birthday party if parents can't be in the same space which is obviously on the much more extreme end of things um yeah. but i think one of the things that that i would say about the practical arrangements what what happens if one co-parent either isn't good at that, isn't capable of that, or isn't willing to kind of stick to practical arrangements. So, you know, a parent who is always late to pick up or never make sure that kids have their games kit for school. How would you kind of work with that? Well, that can be as annoying as frustrating as it is if you're parenting in the same house yes, and you have one, one of the parents still who's- Still married to someone. Parties. Exactly, exactly. And I guess, in a co-parenting situation, you're probably gonna know where the weak spots are. Mm. So the first thing is try really hard to be flexible. And that's hard if you feel that you're the parent who's sticking to the agreement you made and the other parent is always messing about, changing the time, turning up late, that sort of stuff. But, but actually it's really important to keep that spirit of generosity and flexibility it, you know in the relationship because if you become rigid just for the sake of it it's not going to make that any worse 
it's, sorry, it's not going to make it any better. better. It's 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 going to consolidate all of the unhelpful behaviour. Having said that, you know, you can, if you're being flexible, you have a, it's pretty reasonable to expect that that flexibility is to gonna, gonna go both ways. Mm. So if the flexibility that you create and allow in all of those arrangements isn't a two-way thing, then, you know, you have a right to sort of have a conversation about that, but never in front of the kids. Do not involve the kids in all of this. Yeah. Um, you know, to some extent, you have to ex accept that life happens. If somebody has a job where, you know, the demands of their job are constantly changing and they're not fully in control of it, it's not always their fault. I mean, sometimes there's a there's a reluctance to say, no, I can't do that because I've got to do I've got to pick up the kids from school or I've got to be in this place at this time taking on these responsibilities. And some parents find it difficult to you know, be very explicit with their employers or sometimes even with their friends that this is my job too and I take it really, really seriously. Mm. Um, so, you know, give people a bit of, cut people a bit of slack, but at the same time, don't allow yourself to become a, a doormat. Um, yeah, absolutely. I also always, always think of it as, you know, when you have a, when you have a partner you know what they, they still frustrate you but it's mixed with a fondness so when they yes. forget to put the dishwasher on it's frustrating and it's irritating but it's tempered by your fondness for them and then of course when you're going through a divorce particularly when it's fresh all that fondness is gone and it's just irritating <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so if you can try and maybe not necessarily remember your fondness for the person but the fondness for the family unit the respect for the kids and allow that to temper some of the frustration of when they haven't done a practical task, which let's be honest, is one of the reasons, one of the significant reasons that couples fight anyway, is, is about tasks and practicalities and you didn't do this and you've made me feel this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to try and just remember some of the fondness to temper with it. Well, I'm actually a really um, big advocate for couples counseling for all couples, regardless of what's going on in their relationship. That's something that um, Yoram and I, everybody who doesn't isn't related to me on this podcast, Yoram's my husband. Um, we started going to a couples counsellor before we even got married, um, just to almost like a sort of MOT. Um, and it's been incredibly helpful in identifying patterns and sort of pathways that we both get into and really helping to diffuse some of the regular arguments that we have um, and kind of explore why we have the same arguments again and again and what actually is the deeper layer of meaning to that so i would also say maybe not for co-parents who are already kind of grappled and enmeshed in <laughs> in a big argument and and you know just communicating is hard enough the idea of going to a couples counselor can be too much but if it's a couple who are just embarking on a co-parenting journey and feel like they can be open to that kind of discussion i'd really really recommend it because a couples counselor can help you figure out what are the flashpoints? What are the things that you're likely to argue about? Because everyone has them. And just because you're co-parenting instead of married or, or you know, in a long-term relationship, it doesn't mean that they're not gonna come up again. You're still gonna be frustrated by the same things and argue about the same things. Um, there's just gonna be slightly fewer bonds holding you together than there were before. Um, so that's something that I'd really recommend. And I think that's a that's a good bit of advice, actually, because, um, you know, it is even if you're not 
in a relationship where you share your lives together. You are in a relationship mm. being co-parents. And somebody, a, a neutral third party, can can talk about things in a way that's not emotional. So they take all the heat out of out of the arguments. And they also can give you a sort of balanced view and then a set of strategies about how to get yourselves out of the muddle. Because the chances are that the, the arguments that happen around co-parenting are probably going to be pretty similar to the arguments that cause the relationship to break up in the first place. So yeah. you probably would everybody would benefit from just a little bit of a steer about all of that just so you don't keep going down the same rabbit holes mm. um but always 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 keep it away from the kids try really hard when there are disagreements to negotiate how you're going to solve the problems away from the kids so they are not aware of each other oh, mm -hmm. sorry of, of 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 what is going on and what the problems are on. yeah yeah and presumably then also agreeing on on kind of basic issues like school behavior rules if if that's something that you do um are things that also kind of maybe need to be verbalized in a way that they weren't when you were in a, a, a relationship because oftentimes what happens is that one parent will manage that kind of thing and just kind of tell the other parent what's what whereas once you enter into a co-parenting relationship some of that stuff really has to be made explicit right Exactly. And I think that, um, you know, trying to keep your focus on what are the big things that we agree about and going back to that whenever you find yourself getting caught up in details, because often the arguments are about really small details. Um, and, and those details can be really irritating, you know, just like not ever shutting the dishwasher door is a really small, unimportant thing, and it can just become a flashpoint. That's going to be true when you're a co-parent as well. Mm. But keep saying to yourself, we do agree on the, on the most important things. We do agree about the sort of school that we want our child or our children to go to. We do agree about, you know, what are the values. And, you know, we're not we're getting caught up in the detail of something that's relatively small, but just keep your eye on the on the on the big picture. Yeah. Um, do the minor differences really matter? Um, you know, can you live with them? And I think that relates to another thing, which is that you, however cross your feeling, you need to always remember to be positive about the other parent. You must never criticise them in front of the kids. And actually, if you can, you need to say the things that you like about them the things that you value they're really good at diy or they're brilliant at cooking you know spaghetti bolognese or whatever it is because kids get really bewildered if there are divided loyalties and if they feel that they can't mention the other parent they can't praise them they can't um be happy about something that they did with the other parents them they're learning that they've got to edit what they say, which is not great. Um, but also it means that they get bewildered and confused about what they can say and whether, you know, if they say to mum, dad's great at this, they're actually saying, mum, you're not great at that. Yeah. You know, just try to create an atmosphere where it's okay for them to say whatever they want to say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of the words that we've talked about before the big the big m the <laughs> yeah. word which i know is not a word that you like but is um is important to to, to talk about is um being manipulative is something that people hurl at each other as an as an accusation very very frequently 
um, particularly in the breakdown of relationships. You're being manipulative. You're using the kids to manipulate me. You're manipulating the kids, whatever. Um, t- talk to us about that word. Okay, so it's a minefield. Um, it's a very pejorative word and nobody ever means to be manipulative, even if actually looked at objectively from the outside, they are being manipulative. So it's something that I think people do when they feel powerless. Um, It's a sort of covert way of getting what you feel that you want or what you need, um, where you're not being completely honest necessarily with yourself or with other people. So the first thing is try to be really honest and scrupulous when you think about your own behavior. It's really hard to recognize if you yourself are being manipulative, but if somebody says it to you, particularly if it's not your ex-partner, listen to them because they may be trying to say something really important to you. Um, Maybe it's true. Maybe you are, you know, being a bit, a bit unfair in the way that you're, using information or saying things to the kids and that's a really hard thing to do because it's um it's such a negative thing but watch out for the times when you're feeling really cross um you know where every time something said you immediately leap to the to the assumption that it's a really bad thing even if you know later when you reflect on it you realize it's actually quite a small thing that didn't matter that much Mm, because it's likely to feel fuel that kind of Exactly. And be fueled by it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The other thing is, watch out if you find yourself being over curious about what's going going on in your ex-partner's life. It's Mm. none of your business. But if you find yourself sort of speculating about what they're doing, how they're living their life, then you probably are a bit more preoccupied than is entirely healthy for you or for for your capacity to be a co-parent so at least when you're doing it out loud right because if you're thinking i mean you know thinking it is i'm sure everybody's wondered about their ex and what their ex is doing of course if you're doing it too much it can go toxic but it becomes more when you're talking about it all the time particularly if you're talking to kids about it that's when it sort of really starts and basically keep your views to yourself is Mm -hmm. is is what i think um, you know, try to, you know, try, you, you are going to think about these things. You are going to wonder, you are going to speculate, but definitely keep it to yourself. And if you need to talk to somebody, talk to somebody away from the kids and try and choose somebody who isn't going to make you feel worse. Who isn't going to fuel it say, oh, you're yeah. so right. Um, yeah, because yeah. I think that's a dynamic that can sometimes happen. And, you know, sometimes you do need that. Sometimes you need to have a chat with your girlfriends and a bitch about, God, look what the ex did. But I think you're right that after a while, at least I've found, you have to cut it off after a while and say, yeah. OK, we're going to talk about something else. Because otherwise it just fuels this and it can make you, it definitely happens to me that I'll get angrier and angrier and angrier. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And, and then what other people have said of, oh, well, he did this to me or she did this to me. And then it just becomes even more fuel and you just keep going and going and going. And next thing you know, you're a towering inferno of rage. Um, which is never a good thing. Which is never no. a good thing. No, like Granny Island in that book you used to read, Colossal with Rage. Oh, it's yes, not Colossal a safe situation. The Katie Morag books. Yes. Yeah. Good old Katie Morag and Granny, Granny Island. Yeah. <laughs> but um, actually the... Um, the point about this is that a real friend, you, you know, or someone who's got your best interests at heart is going to try to stop you from getting over aroused, over angry, stop you from getting colossal with rage, because it's just a very destructive state of mind to be in. Yeah. Um, 
you know and somebody needs to do some reality checking with you and that's a really scary thing to do if somebody's furious mm. but but actually they'd be doing you such a good favor yeah um, if they Absolutely. just try and help you to see things from other people's point of view from your ex-partner's point of view from the kids point of view perhaps more importantly mm. um and none of none of this is simple it's it's yeah. a, as i say manipulation is a bit of a minefield so yeah people are right to be wary of it but you need to think about it and you need to try and be as honest as you can yeah and it's also i think not helpful to think of either your your co-parent is being manipulative and therefore i'm not being manipulative or i'm being manipulative and therefore he's not being manipulative you know we lots of us use manipulation in our daily lives it's not just a black and white thing of if he's being manipulative then therefore i'm the innocent victim you know well I, I think I think the the idea of blame comes into this because when something like a relationship where you've had children goes wrong, the temptation is to try to find the person who's to blame. It's mm. their fault because they did this or they did this or they didn't do this. And the truth is something went wrong between you and the solution as to how to take the responsibility for your children and co-parent them responsibly and, you know, properly is only something that you can do together and and that's a great paradox because of course you've at this point decided that you don't want to spend your lives together anymore Um, and yet here you are having to work together in a cooperative way doing a difficult task under even more difficult circumstances than when you were together yeah so what happens when a co-parenting relationship goes right why is it a positive thing for kids okay so Children who are co-parented, they see that it's possible to collaborate, to communicate, to uh, cooperate together and get along well, and they, um, they learn from it. It's a really positive experience to watch your parents um, doing a job pop- properly under difficult circumstances. So it teaches them about how you respond to difficulty, how you cope in um, challenging circumstances. It creates a great sense of confidence. Um, It provides them with an enormous amount of consistency and it um, helps them to see that just because things don't go exactly as you thought they might or as you know the storybooks tell you they should it is possible to feel safe to be secure to grow up well um, even though things maybe are different from how you imagine them or people expect them to be um, you you can cope with these things Mm. Um, and uh, yeah that that sense that problems can be worked on and solved in a really positive way sets them up for their life it's it's a it's a very good grounding actually Mm. i'm not suggesting that it's the ideal because it is certainly difficult but don't ever imagine that children are inevitably going to be damaged by this situation there's an enormous Mm. amount of positive stuff that can come out of being a child of successfully happily cooperatively um, co-parenting families and i guess that's also about the mindset that you take to it right as as a co-parent is either this is the most terrible thing ever and i'm being forced to compromise on all these things or this is an opportunity for us to change how our relationship goes for me to teach a whole series of skills to my kids 
Um, and, you know, even if, especially when they're older, they do see some of the more difficult and contentious stuff that, that they are still safe in the knowledge that it's going to be okay in the end. Yeah. Um, and that there's yeah. going to be a consistent co-parenting relationship. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think in the past it was, it was difficult for children whose parents had separated because there was a big taboo about it mm. and an idea that there is only one way to be a proper family. Um, fortunately, that view has, has, has changed and that there are lots of children who grow up in all sorts of different family circumstances and they're fine. Yeah. Um, and they're and not discriminated against. Yeah, that's actually something that I was, I was going to talk about in the bit that's sort of my section, more my section, <laughs> uh, which is about um, involving schools and teachers and learning that kind of side of the co-parenting thing. Um, so the first thing that, that I would say about if you're going through a divorce and if you're co-parenting is to make sure the teachers in your child's school are aware of the situation that's going on, particularly if it's in the middle of it, if you're in the middle of a divorce, but just generally making making teachers aware that like we are two, two adults who are in a co-parenting relationship, no longer in a relationship. There's multiple benefits from that. They can, teachers are really, I mean, you've said this before, teachers are really in the best place to, or not the best place, but the second best place to spot if children are suffering, um, if there's some kind of knock on to their social and emotional lives at school. Teachers can really observe that, sometimes in ways that parents find it, can find it more difficult to see. So I think that's right. And, and at a very simple level, just tell school what the plan is because you know if they sense from the things that the kids have said that there's something going wrong between mum and dad and then dad turns up do the kids go home with him or are they supposed to wait for mom like what normally happens whereas if you say this is the plan on monday this is going to happen the school can be confident that whatever is going on they can support and you know, occasionally you need to let schools know if there are problems and they, they are they are your allies because what they want is the best for the kids and that's what everybody else wants as well. So see them as your partners in, in this. And that doesn't mean spilling out all the details of what's gone wrong. It just means keeping them in the loop so they can support you and support the children. Yeah, and I would say another caveat to that is is um, don't don't try to win the teacher. You know, especially if you've got a positive, if you're trying to do positive co-parenting, the teacher doesn't need to be involved in your in your relationship drama. You know, let the teacher look after the child, which is their primary purpose. Um, so like what you're saying, they don't need to know all the details. They probably only need to know the practical step pieces of, you know, this is this is how the pickup is going to go. This is how sharing homework is going to go. Um, there's actually some really good tips from um, if you're a teacher um, from the University of Missouri, they've provided some great resources, which I'm going to link to in the show notes um, about some practical ways that teachers can really make sure that they're aware of the, those kind of admin things. So one of the things that they suggest is they have this card that's kind of, they print out, you can print out um, and teachers can send home to parents at the beginning of the year and then in the middle of the year, which talk about, okay, what kind of, what is the parenting situation? Who are the other guardians of the children? Who are the key people in their lives? So if, and that this works for not just co-parenting relationships, but also relationships where um, 
maybe a grandmother or a grandfather is a key person in the child's life and is someone who's going to be providing them a lot of support and picking them up from school. And the more that a teacher is aware of that, the better for them. And so that they end up with these, this kind of page with a whole bunch of information about the kid's private life that they can refer back to when they need to. Um, and this also can be really helpful for teachers with inclusive language. So one of the things that's really, really common that teachers will say is like, tell your mum X, Y, Z. <laughs> and of course, if you're going home with dad that week, that can be pretty confusing for children who can be quite literally minded. Or maybe they don't have a mum. Maybe they've got two dads, maybe their mum's died. So maybe teachers can start to think about things like tell the person who looks after you rather than tell your mum. But if you have those those cards with all the information, that just gives you that extra reminder that um, there are kids with all sorts of different family environments in your classroom and it's worthwhile thinking about them. Um, so then the other thing that I would say for co-parenting in terms of education is it's we talk about it in terms of something called school consistency so it's making sure that kids feel like their educational environment is somewhat consistent of course school is the primary place where their education happens but it's also important for homework so they need to have educational supplies if parents are living in two separate homes and the kids moving between them they need to have educational supplies at both houses it doesn't really make sense to have a ruler at one house and they're not at the other house and we all know kids forget those sorts of things to take them between so if they get cut short when they have to do maths homework it can be really frustrating and anxiety inducing for kids to have to keep track of their stuff and it's much much easier if you just have two sets and then you don't have to worry about it um, another practical thing is making sure that the school administration sends out two copies of any school notifications. So both co-parents need to be on email or if they're actually sending physical mail, that need, they need to be notified of that because it's hard enough trying to persuade kids to give the information to the parent about what's going on in the school, um, let alone if then a co-parent has to pass it on to another co-parent. Yeah, and I think, I think in relation to that, when, when as a co-parent you go to the school Remember, this is your child's public place. This is the place where they show their face to the world. So they need you not to misbehave. Mm -hmm. um, they need you to be polite and kind and cooperative to each other. And certainly, if you're gonna have a row, don't have it in front of the kids, but absolutely, definitely, don't start having it at parents' evening or in the while you're waiting in the playground or waiting for the <laughs> yes. school play to start they will never forgive you so yeah and we have both witnessed instances of of that i think <laughs> of uh, massive co-parent arguments or fights in the playground um and nobody nobody comes off well in those at all it's deeply 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 embarrassing for your child to yeah. ever be exposed to that other kids see it they talk about it they're embarrassed they're upset um, they will be very cross with you and quite rightly so. So, yeah. you know, just keep it under control. Do not allow your anger to flare up in a public place, but especially not in your child's school. School, it's such a precious and treasured environment for them. And mm -hmm. they really, they just will not thank you. 
Um, the other thing that I was going to say about the school consistency is if it's at all possible in your co-parenting relationship to keep a similar routine around things like homework, getting ready for school, that can really be helpful for kids. I, I think it can sometimes be difficult for adults to remember how discombobulating it is to move from one space to another and be in a totally different environment. Even if it's something that you've done before and it's a routine that you're used to, it really can help to have, you know, for example, if one parent comes home and they have a snack and then before starting homework and then another co-parent just wants them to do their homework straight away before they can have dinner, that's something that can actually be quite disruptive to a child. And helping them to build a learning routine that is consistent across both houses is really, really helpful um, for them to, to be able to work better and more consistently. Uh, yes, and it's really interesting because that consistency both from a learning point of view but also more generally is is one of the ways that you can reduce the stress on on, on kids because if you have two different sorts of regimes or you know ways of doing things what happens is is the child moves between two different households they have to do the adjusting mm. and it's just not fair try to keep as much consistency as you can so that they don't have to try and work out what they're supposed to be doing in which place. Mm. Um, you know, the more um, aligned your ways of managing the children, not the other stuff in your in your life, but just the ways in which you manage the children, the more those interlink between the two households, the less adjustment the child has to make as they move between all these different environments. And Kids get really adapt, uh, sorry, adept at that sort of thing. They know what the rules are at home. They know what the rules are at school. Let's try not to make it even more complicated. Mm. Um, and then the final thing, which is something for, I think, parents and teachers as well, is something where divorce and co-parenting, different ways of living need to be something that kids can talk about openly um, and, you know, with their parents, with their teachers, with their classmates, um, because you were saying before about, you know, divorce looks quite different now than it did 50 years ago. And there are lots of different ways that parents and kids live in different arrangements and constellations. Um, so there's lots of books that kids can read, which feature couples that live in different ways, maybe featuring co-parenting relationships. I mean, one for very small children, which is really good, is, is Two Homes by Claire Mazurel, which is about a child who moves between mum's house and dad's house. Um, but helping to normalise that and make that into something that, even though they might prefer that their parents are together, this way is fine too. I think it's quite easy to to kind of make two parents married living in a house together and married to be the norm and then everything else is somehow lacking it's somehow worse um, and that's really not a message that we want to give to kids for a whole series of reasons but also because it, it will make them feel sad um, so try and make sure that you're incorporating different types of literature um, stories that you're talking about but that also and this stands for parents even if you're not divorced or you're not going through having to deal with a co-parenting relationship or a relationship breakdown, all kids need to know about these kinds of things um, because we all live in different ways. Yeah, and, and actually whenever I've spent time in schools, particularly in the last few years, the thing that I've been really impressed by is how well schools can do that and mm -hmm. how much they can, you know, 
make kids feel comfortable if they live in a in a way that seems on the surface to not be the same as as as, as some of the other kids in the in the in their class because actually good families are they have the same qualities they're kind they love they they provide support they think about each other and it really doesn't matter what shape that family is as long as all of those things get brought together somehow in some way um, kids benefit well uh, that was a bit of a heavy one I think it was definitely a lot <laughs> heavier than our previous two about confidence and travel and then skipping straight to uh, distressing co-parenting relationships and how to fix them <laughs> Um, but I think the basic kind of summary, the key points that we covered is, is you know, don't trash your fellow co-parent. Try to think kindly about them and understand why they're doing what they're doing. Communicate with them and communicate with other people in a child's life as well or children's lives. So teachers, um, I mean, other family members as well. We didn't really talk about that, but other family members can be a real ally with, with a positive co-parenting relationship or they can be a real problem in creating a negative co-parenting relationship. What about you? What are the key points for you, do you think? I think just the, the key message from my point of view is keep the bad stuff away from the kids because it's not their problem. Just because mm -hmm. you don't get on or if you're finding it difficult to be a co-parent, keep it away from them. Put, create a place where you and your ex-partner can thrash all of this out and then find a way to behave as a parent that is based on what's in the child's best interest. And if you mm -hmm. keep the children for, first and foremost in your mind, actually you can't go wrong. Right. Well, you can go wrong, but you're less likely to go wrong. In other wrong. ways. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and also remember that parenting's tough. It's really, really, really hard work. Um, Co-parenting is is particularly hard, but there are examples of people who can do it, who've done it, and you know you'll be fine. You can make a few little muddles on the way, but just keep in your mind you've just got to put the kids first, and as long mm -hmm. as you do that, you can you'll find a way through to solving it. Okay, uh, now we have a, a listener question. Do you want to read it out? Sure. So this is a question that's come from Lucy. Uh, and she says, Dear Laura and Ruth, I'm a big fan of your podcast already. Great. I really enjoyed the travel episode. I'm about to embark on our first family holiday with my two-year-old son, Charlie. Um, and your podcast really helped me to feel at ease. I'm writing in as I would love to have some advice about Charlie. He's a very bright little boy, but I'm worried about the possibility that he might be colourblind. His dad is completely colourblind, and one area, area Charlie's struggling with is his, in his development is colours. I've been told that it could, can't be diagnosed until school age, but I was wondering if you had any tips on how to get him to understand colour. I'd be so grateful to hear them. Thanks, Lucy. Okay, awesome question, Lucy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the lead point on answering this because I've done quite a bit of work about colour blindness for... Um, designing Quest to Kids as an online accessible platform. Um, it's something that you have to think about when you're designing stuff for online if you want to be as inclusive as possible. Um, so I'm going to start off by just kind of talking a little bit for, for other people who are listening about what color blindness is um, and some of the ways that you can spot it and then go into some of the stuff that you are asking specifically about teaching about colors. Um, so first of all, there's lots of different types of color blindness. There's as many as 16 different types in some typologies. The really common type of, the more common type of color blindness is red-green. 
and then uh, yellow blue uh, and then of course there's full color blindness which it sounds like is the one that charlie's dad has which is actually very rare it's very rare to be fully fully color blind where you just see um sort of shades of gray um like you've identified it does need to be diagnosed by an optician or a doctor there are some online tests you can do but really you need to you need to be dealing with a professional once you're actually at the level of getting color blindness officially diagnosed um interestingly i was reading some statistics the other day from colorblind awareness and they claim that 40 percent of colorblind kids don't know they're colorblind when they leave primary school so it can escape awareness parents and teachers and even kids can be not really aware of what's going on um, so if you have questions and you do have concerns it's probably best to get it checked out by somebody who really really knows what they're doing which i'm sure lucy you're already aware of um, i'm just going to run through a couple of um a couple of ways that parents can spot not not a guarantee that their child is colorblind but some suspicions that their child might be having some difficulty in recognizing colors so obvious ones are like using the wrong colors when you're drawing or painting so like if your tree has purple leaves or the people that you draw have green faces whatever there may it may be that child's children are just having fun and doing something imaginative <laughs> but if they're doing it consistently it might be worth kind of talking to them about um Children who are colorblind often don't like coloring in. That's not, absolutely not a requirement. It doesn't mean that they're colorblind. I also didn't like coloring in, um, but that can be one. Embarrassment about color with older children can also sometimes be a sign that there's something maybe not right. Um, and identifying different color pencils or, or um, crayons can be one. Uh, another one that's interesting that I'd never heard of before until I checked out some some what things online, but smelling food before eating it can be a sign because a lot of the time kids are recognizing the food that they're eating by the colors that they are. And if they can't tell, then they want to smell it to check. If children have difficulty with book pages or worksheets where there's something with color on color, um, sometimes it can be really hard for children who are colorblind to read something when it has a colored background. Um, so that is something to really keep an eye out. Um, and then the other one is colorblindness is quite strongly linked to light, light quality. So kids who have colorblindness are going to find it harder to uh, recognize colors, read things, etc. in lower light environments. So that's also something to keep an eye out for. Um, what about you, Mum? Do you have any other indication, any other kind of things to watch out for? Um, I don't have any ideas about how to recognise that a child is colourblind. I, I, you know, as you say, it's a specialist diagnostic thing. Um, I take great comfort from the fact that, that that statistic that you gave about how many children leave primary school not with colourblindness who don't even know, because what that says is that children can function, adults can function with colourblindness, and it's not a catastrophe. So if your child is colorblind, there are actually lots of things that can be done in the classroom and at home in order to adapt. Um, like we said before with the statistic, often kids don't necessarily notice, but some can really struggle with recognizing uh, things like big colored displays or colorful worksheets that teachers use in class. And once the teachers are aware that there's a diagnosis of colorblindness in their classroom, they can do quite a lot 
in order to be able to change how things operate, both for online resources and printed resources in the classroom. So just be aware that even if Charlie is diagnosed as being colorblind, especially in a learning environment, there's a huge amount of things that teachers can do, small tweaks that they can make in order to make things easier for him. Um, in terms of your specific question, Lucy, about teaching colors, there are some things that you can do to help teaching colors. Um, I would recommend using, especially with a two-year-old, trying to use games rather than words. Um, so if you over-focus on words, kids can sometimes get a bit gun-shy. They recognize that this is something that you're kind of really pushing for and that you've got anxiety behind. Um, and, and then they can become hesitant about using the words. Whereas something like, for example, if you have a collection of cups of different colors and they put in objects that they found of the matching color so red things go in the red cup blue things go in the blue cup and you demonstrate that game to them and get them to play that that will really help them to be able to distinguish between colors if they can distinguish between colors um, of course if Charlie's fully colorblind then he may not be able to um, but that kind of activity can be more helpful than associating words with specific colors um, I would say don't push the colors too much because it may be that your concern about him potentially being colorblind is impacting his behavior and how he is choosing to talk about colors. Would you agree, Mum? Absolutely. And the thing about children's development is that it they sort of hone in on one thing to think about, uh, to, to puzzle about, and they will practice that and they march to their own tune. They may not be you know, Charlie may not be interested in color at the moment but that doesn't mean that he can't distinguish colors it just means that something else is his concern at the moment and when he gets around to it on his personal list of things that I'm going to find out about the world <laughs> when he gets around to dealing with color he'll be off um, and that's part of his growing independence that he sort of decides what preoccupies him and as parents we need to just follow on rather than having our own script about what we think he ought to be doing at a particular stage so so some of these sort of developmental um sort of assessments that that you know people get very preoccupied by maybe just put that down and play with him that that's the that's the thing that really matters and when color becomes the thing that he's curious about he'll work it out somehow and that's the thing about you know, the, the, the statistic that Laura was describing to you means that um, there are lots of people who are who have difficulties in recognizing color and they they do cope and it's not a catastrophe. Um, and actually, Charlie, know. if Charlie does turn out to be fully colorblind, he's going to be very well placed by having a parent who is also colorblind to be able to spot some of the the issues that might come down the pipe for him. Um, and yeah. schools and technology have made huge advances in both the assessment of colorblindness and dealing with some of the consequences of colorblindness. One of the things that I was going to rec recommend, which is quite fun, is there's an app that you can get for your iPhone called iDaltonizer. I'll put the, the name in the show notes, which helps colorblind kids to, to see. It kind of alters images in a way that makes it possible for children or adults as well with colorblindness to be able to see um, according to the different types of colorblindness that they have and it's quite interesting to play around with as an adult to just familiarize yourself with some of this stuff and how things can look differently um, so i would recommend giving that a download and try it out and see what happens um, 
Yep. And do you know all this conversation about colorblindness reminds me of a story that um, that that Dad tells us about <laughs> his friend, who was a very bright chap, and he was he was finishing university, and uh, this is in the days before laptops and emails. You had to send a hard copy of a letter, and he he said to my husband. I keep sending these applications off and I'm not getting any response. What am I doing wrong? And um, my husband looked at the CV that his friend had been sending out and it was full of amazing stuff. The problem was that he'd written it in, he typed it in red ink and <laughs> his potential employers were getting letters from him which were bright red. And obviously they thought that there was something really seriously going wrong. And as soon as he produced a letter with black ink, he got offered a job, which was great. And that's what friends are for. Exactly. To check exactly. that your CVs aren't accidentally threatening your future employers <laughs> with a very aggressively coloured ink. <laughs> and they, you know, the two of them are still great friends. Uh, you know, the, the, the families are, you know, we've all grown up together and uh, yeah. But that, you're, Laura's right, that's what friends are for. Yeah. All right, that's it from us at the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave us a review and make sure to subscribe. And if you'd like to get in contact, send in a question or some ideas for other topics that we could discuss, you can find us on Let's Talk About Parenting on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear from you. Um, for the next episode, tune in. We're going to be talking about online safety with kids and how to keep your kids safe on the internet. All right, that's it for that's us. That's really interesting. Bye. Okay, bye. The Let's Talk About Parenting podcast is sponsored by Questa Kids, an online educational game for kids aged 7 to 12. Questa Kids follows Questa and Zeke on a journey around the world, traveling through time, and teaches children about geography, history, maths, culture, and plenty more. Questa Kids makes learning fun. So sign up today at questakids.com for a free 30-day trial. You can also get 15% off with the code Let's Talk About.